0: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, So good to see you, and uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. And so I don't know if you're uh, watching this while you're traveling or whenever you're watching this, just thank you so much for uh, watching. My name is John Wagler. I'm part of this Hill City team, and so grateful you decided to join us here today as we are in week number two of this series called Won't He Do It? as we're talking about uh, the next few months, we're gonna be talking about the the book of Mark. And we did a lot of background on that last week and uh, kinda of just like the overview and the first few verses of Mark. And so you can go back and, and catch up on that if you, you missed it. But throughout this series, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, uh, in between each Sunday, we're going to do a special podcast episode on our Stay Curious podcast. And so if you have questions, either off of some of the content um, that we're addressing, or maybe you've read in different parts of Mark in that chapter that we're going through for that week, and you've got some questions there, um, we're going to work through those uh, each week. It's something a little different. So you can email your questions into Curious at hillcityrva.com uh, stay Curious at hillcityrva.com and we'd love to um, create some dialogue there that'd be awesome and each week uh, you know I was thinking this week I was like all right what what do I want for people each week in this series because as we're digging in a little bit deeper I know sometimes it can feel overwhelming and everything but really at the crux of it um, I wrote down these two questions I was like all right uh, this could be helpful. Like, what have I learned about Jesus? Whenever we're, each week, you know, even if you just did this, like, what if, what have I learned about Jesus today? And, you know, maybe it's a new characteristic about him or something. And the other thing is, what does that mean for my life? So whatever you learn about Jesus, there's an application to your life. And so um, those are two, like, easy questions to be able to kind of engage all of this information uh, with that can be very, very helpful uh, throughout this series. And you also might be wondering, like, why did we choose, won't he do it? Well, there's, um I just love that saying honestly. Um it's kind of like an older church saying, but the the other piece to that is as you begin to think about um over the years, just the redeeming value that God brings and a life with Jesus brings to relationships and to perspective and to change and hearing, you know, and purpose and wisdom and and watching someone's story totally change. So often I'll be sitting with people and and just have this kind of thought in my head of just like so much gratitude to what God's doing in someone's life. And, and so even that phrase kind of applies that now sometimes people are sharing something and I'm just like, man, won't he do it, right? Won't he do it? And so We're in this book called Mark. This letter called Mark that um, this guy named, in all likelihood, this guy named John Mark wrote, who is a friend of Peter, um, that detailed out the story of Jesus and his life and his teaching. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all offer kind of different perspectives and portrait of the life and teachings of Jesus. And last week, we got introduced to this guy named John the Baptist. And I don't know if you've been watching The Chosen, um, but he was actually on the latest episode of The Chosen, um, which you should watch. It's so good. And, um, And he was watching he was kind of like how I described him. Um, he was wild like the, his beard is all over the place and he was just like this kind of crazy big character and everything like I think he's like the ultimate hype guy. Uh, I don't know if you guys are football fans or not, but uh, there's a linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens named Ray Lewis who would come out and uh, he had this like routine to hype people up and he'd do the same dance every single week as he's being announced and I feel like that's like John the Baptist <laughs> and um, but what we were kind of talking about was that this life of Jesus is, about kingdom that yes it's about personal salvation and we talked a little bit about that but really um, it's bigger than that um, it's about his kingdom it's about fulfilling the story of Israel and so the weight of this story of Jesus becomes uh, really uh, it's its huge and um, I wrote this down I said that the message of Jesus isn't transactional it's transformative that's kind of like what we were starting with uh, last week and kind of continuing this week of like hey this transactional element. That's that that's not a thing like there There are transactions that happen right When Jesus dies on the cross and all the stuff that like there's a forgiveness of our sin There's this transactional element of course, but but really we're supposed to like see it as Transformational because that's what really changes, you know, even this past week um, Which was a year uh, from when uh, George Floyd uh, was uh, murdered and when that happened you know, obviously it, it sent waves throughout the country and, and there were protests and, and so many different things have happened since then over the years, over the year and some good things, uh, some not so good things, uh, some forward progress, some steps back, all those, all those things. And I was just like processing this um, this week while I was like just studying and praying and I was like, man, you know, there's so much of what had happened in the midst of that that was transactional it was like if you do this I'll do this if I learn a little bit of this I'll change a little bit of that and there's like these transactional elements and then and then to see even like on the day of like kind of the of m- remembering like the the moment with George Floyd that there were like gunshots right there in the square on that same day that sent everyone fleeing and everything and I'm just like ah oh man there's this like we haven't transformed like there's been transactional elements but like man like the transformational piece has not happened, and um, and it's because like unless we have the message of Jesus woven in and uh, really at the at the core of who we are, then everything's gonna be transactional. It's not gonna actually fully ever transform. Even if you think about it this way if we just had scripture, like there was no news. We didn't, there there was no news. We just kind of find, found out about things and learned out about things just through personal interaction and engagement with people. And all we had was the Bible to go off of. And there was no news channels whatsoever. We wouldn't think about these scenarios the same way that we do now. We wouldn't think about these things and talk about these things in the same way. If we just had scripture, if we just had the teachings of Jesus, we would begin to view these things in such a transformative way. But what ends up happening is in order for it to be transformative, that we've got to be willing to like really be sold out for this message of Jesus, sold out in our lives, just not playing this game, but truly sold out. And one other thing that I wrote down was, if we aren't willing to be sold out for Jesus, eventually we will sell out eventually we will sell out in our purpose and our identity, sell out in our habits, sell out in our actions, and, and really be focused on the self and not, and we kind of turn away from the things that Jesus actually taught, turn away from the transformative elements that are supposed to be there for us. And so Mark today, as we're, we're going to be engaging, is, is kind of is pushing into this even a little bit further. We started off with that last week, and I want to just come back in again with this. Um it's going to push on us a little bit more here this week, and he's going to give us a warning and kind of a focus point today. And so we'll go over those two things. So Mark chapter 1 Starts here in verse 9. It says, uh, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. If you remember last week, we talked about the Jordan River and its connection to the story of Israel and entering into the promised land. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw, all right? Notice it doesn't say everyone saw, it just says that he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, that's also important. A voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And so I want to um, pause here for, for just a second before I pick up the rest of this part, because you know, you might be wondering, wh- what do we do with this? Like what we have right here. And um, and, and I want to just highlight a couple of things because um, baptism is, is one of the things that we, we see here. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, What is baptism? Well, baptism is actually, was a purification ritual um, during that time, but it was as after Jesus had died and rose again and everything, one of the things that baptism became was this identification uh, that a believer of Jesus would have that, that when they want to follow Jesus, they're identifying with his death, like going under the water and coming out in his resurrection, or the old being gone, the new coming out, or sin being washed away and like you know, being purified, coming out, and so that's what baptism is for us. And many of you have been baptized before. If you haven't, like you, you should um, get baptized. And if you're wondering, well, I was baptized as a little kid. That's that's cool too. Um, but maybe you know, a great way to honor the decision your parents. Um, made when you were baptized as a baby would be to be baptized as an adult because what we see throughout Scripture is that those that chose to follow um, as an adult were also baptized. And so um, here's what I think is is important though, because you might be wondering, well, Jesus didn't sin. (laughs) Why did he get baptized? Like what was the point? Well, as I said last week, John was baptizing people and creating this movement um, this, this joining in, this movement together as like kind of an identity marker. And so when Jesus goes to get baptized, he is, this is a powerful thing because he's stepping in. He's like, I'm joining this movement. And John's already said that, like, man, the person that's coming to join this and lead this movement, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And um, and so Jesus is coming in. He's like, I'm identifying with the people who want to join this movement. I'm identifying with the people who want to be pure. I'm identifying with the people who want to be cleansed. I'm identifying with these people. I'm going to lead these people. And I'm the, I'm the kind of, I'm, you know, I'm the king of all this stuff. And, but like, but like this this is a moment where Jesus is actually saying, like, I'm in this with you, all right? And so this is a big thing. And again, you'll see throughout the studies that we're going to have each week that there's these little things that Jesus does. I'm like, man, there's no other faith that talks about God like that. There's no other faith that has this relationship like that. There's no other faith that like engages one another like this. And Jesus is stepping in. Um, not just to be over anything. It's like, no, I'm identifying with you um, in this process. Um the second thing that we see, and this is um, one that's really important because I want to talk about with creation here, because in that one, um, if you think about this story in Genesis chapter one, uh, we see a couple of things. We see the word of God. All right. Um, and that comes out with uh, let there be light. All right. So we see the word, we we see God as creator and everything, and then we see the spirit, all right? We see the spirit, well, how do we see the spirit? Well, it said that the spirit hovered over the waters. All right, so that's at the, the first part of creation, where where it was supposed to be like how everything was supposed to be, and uh, the word that's used uh, for spirit was fluttered, and that's why the spirit is often used as like in relation to the dove. Okay, so um, so it said that the spirit fluttered over the waters, and and so here we see, and this is what's interesting. I got these little things in scripture. That's why it's like the Bible is just so cool, y'all. Um, it's those little things that that the writers do to tie back in. Well, what we see here in the same thing with baptism is what do we, what do we see? We see um, God's voice coming in, right? And we see that the heavens opening up. We see, like he says that he saw, he's seeing his father, he's hearing his voice, and then the spirit is coming in. And so there's this tie-in here, even at the um, baptism of Jesus, they're tying it back into the creation story, all right, And they're doing that, and we're gonna see that for a very specific reason here in just a second. Um, they're, they're trying to get the listener to be like, hey, remember when Remember how we've, we've looked and focused on this before. Like this is tying back in to this point. Um, it's also the, the spirit point is, is, is actually like a really big deal here. In Isaiah chapter 42, it said that the spirit will be on God's servant, the Messiah. And so the, all these kind of tie-ins to the, like all the generations before and what they believed. And so the writer of Mark is saying like, hey, like this is what we've been waiting for. This is what it is. And this is what it means. And here's what else we also see. There is a moment of the presence of God, a very specific moment with Jesus here where the presence of God, the engagement and connection, and it's powerful. And what do we see? It says, you know, we hear the voice says, you're my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And so what do we see there? We see clarity, we see joy, and we see identity, All right? So we see clarity, we see joy, we see identity. And um, those things, and and like when you experience the presence of God in this powerful way, like that's what happens. You have clarity, you have joy, and your identity is secure. Now, in verse 12, it continues on and it says this, that then, then the Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. All right, the wilderness was... Um, again, the, for the people of Israel, the wilderness was uh, always all these pivot points in their faith and their relationship to God. There were pivot points where they failed a lot. There were, there were points where they engaged God a lot. There, but ultimately, um, for a lot of people, it's also a place where they turned away from God. But, so it's back into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And that 40 number is big, but I'm not going to get into that. He was out among the wild animals Alright, and I'll talk about that in a second. And angels took care of him. Later on, John was arrested. This is a big pivot point in the story. Alright, so later on, John was arrested. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news, that is the gospel. And look what he says here. And these, these are very, very significant um, what is what being talked about here. And, and, and it's important because um, if Mark's saying that this is the first way we're being introduced to Jesus, this is important. He says, the time promised by God, has come at last. This is Jesus talking. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And so I want to start off here because we've, we, there's just two main things, and it's a warning here. I'm giving you some background to all this to kind of set the stage, but I also want you to see, like, all right, like what's actually going on here? Um, because we see Jesus gets baptized. He has this incredible presence of God, you know, kind of moment and everything else. and then something happens to him, right? He goes out and he is now tempted. And so here's the warning. Temptation. Temptation is uh, the warning that, that Mark is kind of placing uh, before us that do you, like that Jesus is getting tempted in this moment. Again, he's got this', this huge serious moment of connection with God, and then temptation becomes like a reality. And, and so you know this, like, and, and I know this, like, we're, we all have areas of temptation in our lives. We all have um, places where we're more tempted by other things, and, and often we ridicule other people's temptations that we don't struggle with because it's so easy for our, ourselves, but, but we all have areas of temptations. And one of the things that I was thinking about um, when Jesus was in this moment um, that I think is also like very prevalent for us is that our greatest temptations often come on the heels of our greatest connection to the presence of God. Our greatest temptations often come on the heels of our greatest connection to the presence of God. I even think about this in my own life that um, some of the most pivotal moments in my life and some of the big just kind of connection with God moments Um, it's been amazing how often I've been tempted by other things, tempted to put my identity in something else, tempted by something that maybe was a struggle for me in my past, tempted, it's like, man, it's like you just had this powerful moment, and then you can almost... It's almost like you can you can just see it coming. You get in a sweet spot and it's like so good. Like you just feel like, man, you're walking arm in arm with Jesus. And then all of a sudden you're like, why do I feel so much temptation for all of these things? And so um, we just see this as like a rhythm that can happen in our lives. And it also makes sense. Like why... Why would, why would Satan, why would evil, why would kind of this evil spiritual realm that's out there, why would it be just satisfied with us being in a great spot? Of course we're going to get um, tempted uh, by things. And one of the reasons that those temptations also happen so strongly is that we see what we want in God and we see what we can experience with God and we see in the connection that we have with God. But then all of a sudden we see what we would want and we want and we know we can get it we can experience it. But it also makes us very aware of the things that we're lacking, very aware of the temptations that we have, very aware of the things that can bring us down. And and again, we can just feel that tension that begins to Happen Well, in this temptation, this is also one of the reasons that Mark is trying to get us to like tie the stuff back into the creation story. Um, because he's, he's creating a bigger narrative about Jesus here that's talking about his authority and everything. Um, if you remember in the Adam and Eve story, there comes a point where they're, again, they experience creation. They experience a connection with God and everything is the way that it should be. Then temptation comes to them. Well, we know that in that story, as humanity, um, they choose temptation. They choose that route. And here's what we begin to see. In the same way, Jesus was tempted. In the same way that Adam and Eve were tempted, Jesus was tempted. Um... Now, there's a reality that um, in one of the other temptation stories, they kind of tease out what what Satan tempts Jesus with a little bit more. And it was all centered around the identity in the same way that it was centered around Adam and Eve's identity. But in this story, Jesus does not sin. In this story, Jesus does not give in to temptation. And and let me just say this. Everyone gets tempted. All right. You'll never be above temptation. But so Jesus is tempted but he doesn't sin in that temptation. He doesn't give in. He doesn't choose that route to give in to temptation. So they're establishing right here, and this is why it's like a big deal, that Jesus is a better Adam. He's a better Eve, that he is like connected in the way that we should be and setting an example for others to follow. Um, you guys might remember in there talked about the wild animals, and this is just like a fun little note um, that uh, I wrote down here. But that you might like, why does it matter that he put the wild animals in there because it seems like really uh, random well in isaiah chapter 11 one of the um beliefs of the <clears throat> jewish people that eventually and when things are made right that there's this restoration with uh, all of creation and that is also part of like with animals, like anything that was created. And um, and so it's just a little tagline again into this idea that, man, when things were the way that they were supposed to be with Adam and Eve, like there was just this harmony with all of creation, but then sin corrupted all of that. And so that's why the wild animals part is actually in there. But here's what I think is important when we begin to think about temptation, and um, hopefully that this is helpful for you as you begin to, to really think about your own areas of temptation. Um, your greatest temptation is centered around creating a false identity. Your greatest temptation is centered around creating a false identity all of the things you are tempted by, to um, all the things that you're, you're, you're tempted to believe about yourself, those, those lies you tell yourself, those lies you, like, those are false identity markers. That's not what God thinks of you. All those things that um, you're trying to maybe puff yourself up with. You're, you maybe you're tempted for image. You're tempted to, to, to want to showcase, right? Like, in, in pride begins to well up. Those, that's a false identity. And that's where your greatest temptations are going to be centered around identity. It's always going to attack your identity. And here's what ends up happening. When that temptation comes in with your identity, it becomes a distraction. And here's what we know about distractions, right? Distractions in our lives will always create space for us to be deceived. All right, distractions will always create space for us to be deceived. When temptation comes and we get distracted by that temptation, we will give in, we will be duped, we will make unwise choices, and and we'll sit back and be like, man, how did that happen? Well, it started playing with your identity a little bit, and you lost focus on your identity. And then that you got distracted by all of that, and then you are deceived into thinking what you were about to do was actually a, a good idea. And then when you think about the things that we're tempted by as well, um, they're always, um, when it comes to that identity piece, the, those temptations are always going to be at the core of them. They're always going to center around the self and it's puffing up yourself in some kind of way or just solely focused on the self, all right? And, um, and here's what we're going to see, like the opposite with Jesus in that. And, um, and so I want us to process this a little bit. Like Jesus was able to kind of push away the temptation. You might be thinking, well, hold on. I'm not Jesus and you would be correct, you are not. Um, However, I think there are things that we can take away um, from how Jesus handled temptation and and what protected him in this that can help us as well. So I wanna highlight four quick things that you can write down. Um, So what do I do with temptation? Well, the first thing you need is um, the right identity. All right, the right identity. And that is a Jesus-centered identity. What does Jesus say about you? Who does he say you are, right? Um, you guys might be filled with regret. You might be filled with um, shame. You might be filled, But those are not things that Jesus says about you. And, and so it's beginning to understand, like, what does Jesus actually say? Who does he say that I am? And beginning to engage that and speaking truth into the lies that we tell ourselves. Um, you, we need to uh, be in Be in community. Be in community. Um, you can't do this alone. Um, one of the things, one of the biggest detriments to the whole pandemic, um, one of, there was a bunch, but one of was the loneliness factor. Like, we need community. That's part of why gathering together on Sundays is such a big deal. We need community. Gathering in discipleship groups, we need community. Gathering people's homes, we need community. Um, watching this online is great. Like, it's it's an element to help develop your faith. But you still need community, and you need in-depth community that will help with temptation. Um, we need boundaries. The areas of temptation that you have, you need to be able to articulate what boundaries you have put in place that are helpful. Um, if you can't articulate them, then you'll just keep falling. Um, those areas that you know you're tempted by, like if you don't have boundaries around them, you'll just keep giving into them. So you need boundaries and you need to be able to articulate what they are. Um, the last one is, um, is uh, self-giving love. This helps with temptation. Um, think about it. All of our temptations are oriented towards ourselves, <laughs> and 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 like propping up ourselves in some kind of way. So none of our temptations are about loving others more, and and so it's important then to be like, all right, what does it mean to have self? giving love. That would be helpful for temptation. So that's the warning about temptation. And then he brings it into the focus, which really matters. And And it's this pivot point in the passage. In verse 14, he talks about John gets arrested, which just means that, man, he's prepared the way. John's about to die, actually. Um, and, um, and he's prepared the way for Jesus, and everything else is is coming in at this moment. And, and again, notice, if you go back and read that passage again, notice that the first thing uh, the first phrases that that Mark has Jesus speaking, so this must be important, as he talks about repentance, the gospel, and the kingdom. Those three things. That those things are so big. Repentance, the gospel, and the kingdom. And so I want to talk about the focus on um, the kingdom here this morning, and how do we experience that. And because He's setting up this whole kingdom idea. Again, I'm, I really want us to move away from only focusing on the personal salvation part. It's a factor, but I just want us to be like kingdom, 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 okay? Um, that is so critical to this message of the gospel. And not because I'm saying it, it's because Jesus is saying it um, repeatedly. And so what is the key factor when it comes to this idea of the kingdom? And it's repentance. It's repentance. And repentance can mean a lot of different things, Um the simplest probably thing you might have heard about repentance is um, that this is turning away or t- you know, turning away from something, turning back around and going the other way. And so even with repentance, confession's always there with repentance, um, but repentance is this turning away. But some other things that you can think about with repentance, it's a spiritual cleaning it's a change of mind. It's a change of priorities. It's a reimagining possibilities. It's a brand new attitude. Those things are all associated with repentance, even within the context of Scripture. And so the easiest way it might be to like view it as like, oh, you're turning around and going the other way. But there's other elements to repentance that are so important to engaging the kingdom. Repentance leads to freedom. Because we are no longer accepting the habits and thought process that are keeping us away from Jesus. And so repentance allows us to be like, this is who I really am. I'm confessing to who I really am. I'm confessing the way I think, confessing the way I act, confessing to the habits I have, confessing the temptations I have, and I want to turn from those. I need a spiritual cleansing. I need a change of mind, change of priorities. I need to reimagine my life and repent and turn to Jesus. And that's where we begin to have real freedom. It will always be uncomfortable. Like no one's ever like thinking to themselves, man, confession and repentance feels so good. Like, well, there's an element when it becomes a rhythm that it does feel good, but it's also incredibly uncomfortable because you're coming to grips with who you really are. And you're coming to grips with like what God needs to change in all of us. And we all have stuff. I think it's incredibly important. One of the practices that I've been trying to like put into my life is whenever I see a bad story on the news or hear about something awful or whatever, I start thinking about how has there been any way, shape, or form that I've played into this in my life? Like I'll give you an example, like the you know um, anything around racism because it's been like obviously such a big big topic, and I thought to myself, okay, in the history of my life. Have there been ways through prejudice and bias or maybe even racial thoughts that I have played into this in any capacity? And in those moments, I just take a second, I'm like, God, I confess that. I just want to repent of that and um, and just cleanse my heart and I want to reimagine the possibilities of like what you have for me. And what that does is, is it kind of puts you into the story rather than always like keeping you outside of what's going on. And so it's important, but it's uncomfortable to do that. And you might be saying like, well, Wags, I've, I've repented of that before. I've confessed that before. And you might be right, and as I have too. But there's just this rhythm of things of like, hey, I just want to make sure I, I understand that I'm always a part of this story. I'm always a part of it. I'm always a part of this stuff. And and I just want to be aware of it and understand it um, in the midst of this. Even when John was 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 kind of going into this, John um I wrote this down because I just thought it was like helpful for us to think about. When John the Baptist was preaching repentance, we talked about last week, he was preaching repentance in preparation for the king. That's how he talks about it. But Jesus preaches repentance for participation in his kingdom. Those are two very different things. John was doing it in preparation. Jesus was talking about it. Hey, if you want to participate in this kingdom, you've got to be a person of repentance. And it isn't just a one-time Thing. So what are some keys to repentance? And we're going to end with this. One, we make it public. Make it public. And by making it public, um, I'm not saying you go out to everyone and repent. I'm just saying you need to have people in your life that you are confessing and repenting to, um, because when it's public, um, now there's accountability. If you keep it hidden, that's where shame builds in, and it'll never—you'll never actually take the step that you want to. And yeah, there might be consequences for your action, and yeah, there's some uncomfortable elements to that, but you have to make it public. Um, the second thing is uh, keep it, keep it consistent. You are not a finished product. I am not a finished product. We are going to be constantly learning, growing, changing, at least we should be. And so to confess and to repent has got to be a consistent rhythm in our life, a daily rhythm in our life, um, to be able to engage the way that we should. And then I want us to just pause. You might be thinking, "Why, why should I pause? Well, I think it's pause, and we need to remember who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, don't just go off your emotions, don't just go off your feelings. Like, that's what serial killers do. Uh, All right, that's too strong. But like, they they do. But, But the reality is we've got to pause and remember that, hold on a second, I'm feeling all these things, or this is where my emotions are taking me, and this is what I'm thinking about myself, or whatever. But we have to pause and remember who Jesus is and what he's done. That begins to reshape it. And so that warning of temptation in is now combated with all these things of repentance. And you've got these things now in place that that help the focus to bring the kingdom into reality. Here's the last thought, that we won't experience the kingdom without repentance. We won't experience the kingdom that Jesus is talking about without repentance. And so I just want you guys to like pause here um, this morning and um, to just think, to just process, to um, really begin to like, so like, all right, how? If if it's so important that this idea of the repentance and the gospel and the kingdom, like, how how does my life really look when it comes to that? Like, is that who I am in following Jesus? Can you imagine the transformative elements that would begin to happen if if we as believers, we as Christians, began to fully embrace what this looks like? So here are just three questions that we can end with today. One, what are your greatest areas of temptation? I think it's important to list those out. Um, two, what boundaries do you have in place to help defeat them? And then three, how could focusing on repentance and the kingdom help? So those are the three, I think, to take in um, this morning. Write down answers to those, process them. That's well, That's going to help you see like what you're supposed to do and how God's speaking into your life this morning. Let's pray. So God, um, one, we're grateful for who you are. Um, we're grateful for your grace and your love for us. We're grateful um, for how you see us. Um, That you see us as your son, you see us as your daughter. And so, as people are watching this, um, whenever they're watching it, but whether it's this morning or whenever, um, and they're feeling the, the weight of some decisions they've made, feeling the weight of some things they're tempted by. They're feeling all this stuff. God, I pray right now that they would begin to know and feel and embrace who you say that they are, who you, what, how you think of them, how much grace you have for them, the purpose that you have for their lives, the wisdom that will come out of that, the transformative element of a life with you. And God, I also pray for all those who call themselves believers that We would stop ever thinking of this relationship with you as transactional. And if we have not felt and experienced the transformative work of your spirit in our lives, God, that we would be open-handed, open-minded, and have ears to hear of how you want to inject that into our lives to fully be transformed. And that that is when your kingdom takes shape. That is when your church looks like and acts like and thinks like it should. God that's my prayer for our community. And we give this to you in your name we pray. Amen.